to this week's episode of Here We Journey with Pastor Greg. Episode 17. We've come a long way, friends. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening. If you're new to the episode or to the podcast, welcome. Glad you are here. If you've been with me since the beginning, thank you. Thank you for your support, your love, uh, your encouragement. Next week, I'm going to record the final episode of this first season. I can't end things on an odd number. If you know me personally, you know I have a thing against odd numbers. It's one of my quirks. So this is episode 17. There'll be another episode next week. And I'm going to take just a few weeks off. uh, Enjoy the last few weeks of summer break that my kids have. My middle child is entering into kindergarten, so I want to make sure to spend some additional time and not be thinking about and pondering uh, what I'm going to cover on the podcast. So uh, this week and then next week, I am recording episodes. Going to take a couple weeks off. Probably we'll start back beginning or mid-August. So it's going to be maybe a two-month break, maybe a month and a half, uh, so a little bit of a break, but I also have some exciting news. I am starting the process to discuss a new call, so during that time, I'll also probably be starting that process of interviews and discussions, so maybe when I record the first season of, or first episode of season two, I will have some exciting news. I can't say the name yet because there's some confidentiality. We got to progress through the process before I can reveal too much. So there's that. I am continuing my half marathon training. That is going well. So things are good. I say all this because I don't know how many will stick around until the end. This episode is going to be difficult. I am going to talk about Christian nationalism. And I want to give you a heads up, a warning, a trigger warning, whatever label you want to put on it. I want to tell you this is going to cover some hard things. This is going to talk about some upsetting things. I'm going to use an audio in this episode from, for lack of a better word, and maybe it is the correct term, a hate preacher. So, be warned. This is definitely not a episode to take in lightly. It's not an episode that probably kids should listen to too much. So this is this is going to be a rough one. This is going to be honest and direct and difficult. So if you're LGBTQIA+, identifying, if you are a BIPOC person, know that this is going to be hard. There's going to be some very disturbing things talked about. And I feel, I 
feel like I have to speak out. I feel as someone who comes from a tradition, Martin Luther, uh, Lutheran Church, that's what I am a pastor in. That's my tradition. If you're seeing this on YouTube, you see behind me, I even have a couple Luther statues behind me. I have my collection of some of Luther's writings. I have uh, a championship belt that has the Luther's rose on it. I am Lutheran. Now, Lutheranism, if you didn't know, is pretty big in Germany. That's where Luther is from. The Protestant Reformation, you may remember from history class 1517, Martin Luther nails his 95 theses on the door in Wittenberg to initiate what he hopes is a public debate to help reform or bring about change in the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was a professor and monk within the Lutheran or within the Catholic Church, so he was interested in trying to make it better and to address some things that were really disturbing him, both theologically and in the way that the church lived out its public witness. One of the big things was indulgences. I don't want to give you too much church history, but this is important to know because in the early 1900s, the Lutheran Church in Germany, Lutheran theology, because Luther does write some very atrocious things regarding those that happen to be or that are Jewish. Luther, Lutheran thought, Lutheran theology, Luther's writings are married with the fascist dictator Adolf Hitler. And it's some of Luther's writings that Hitler quotes and co-ops to justify things like the Holocaust. And the Lutheran Church in Germany, in many ways, signs off on it and is married to the dictatorship, to the, the state. And that is a great tragedy. So as someone that comes from a tradition who has seen theology, teachings, the Bible used in such atrocious ways, I feel it is my duty and my calling to speak out against things like Christian nationalism. So that's why we're doing this episode. It will probably be a longer episode. You may need to take breaks as you are listening to it if you're joining me via a podcast player. That's okay. Take your time. If you have questions, reach out to me on social media. I have a Pastor Greg Hartman Facebook page where you can like that page and send me a direct message and we can engage in conversation. Some of you may be listening to, to this because of my presence on TikTok. Feel free to reach out to me if you have questions, concerns, so we can have a conversation. Reach out to me. So, my friends, here we go. Christian nationalism. 
Now, before we get directly to Christian nationalism, I think there's additional history that we need to be aware of, of the global Christian church. The first of which is, if you don't know, before 300 CE or AD, Christianity was largely persecuted by the empire, especially the Roman Empire. And it doesn't end in 312. It does continue in many ways, but that's in 312, the Emperor Constantine converts to Christianity. And in many ways, that is the first time, and I shouldn't say many ways, that is the first time that Christianity and the Empire are married together. Now, for the early Christians of that time, it did a lot of good things. It it saved them from persecution. It changes their role and the way they are looked at in the Roman Empire. But that's the first time that we see a religion, a set of teachings from Jesus who repeatedly says, His kingdom is not of this earth. His kingdom is not here. His kingdom is in the eternal. His kingdom is the kingdom of God. And it's not here on earth. Remember, in the scriptures, we see many times where Jesus' followers want to pick up arms, are begging him in many ways to stand up against the Roman occupation of Israel and kick him out. There are some theories that say Judas does what Judas does, not because he wants to see Jesus die, but instead he's hoping that it will spur Jesus to finally act. Act like the earthly kingdom or earthly king that so many want. To act as the Messiah that they thought was coming. The Messiah that was a global military ruler and king that was able to restore Israel to their proper place. But Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm here for. So 312 AD, according to early church history, which there is some debate about, right? There are some things that sometimes we, there's a lot of lore. That's a good way to put it. There's a lot of lore around that conversion and what it means and what it meant and what Constantine actually did. But 312 is really about when they say the then Roman emperor converts to Christianity. So this merger, and we see that again and again, and we see it certainly as, so this is when Rome, a.k.a. the Vatican, becomes the Holy Roman Empire. And continues to spread. And this is what leads to things like 
the Inquisition and the Crusades and all of those things because we have to remember because of this conversion, Rome, Vatican City is now a political earthly empire. The Pope is not just a spiritual leader. The Pope is a king, is a national leader. So there's there's a lot going on there. And we see in other parts where of the world and in world history where Christianity is married to political power, the empire, and is used to reinforce a lot of those things. And don't get me wrong, Jesus did talk about politics. A lot of Jesus' use of words were political statements against empire, against worldly powers, especially worldly powers that corrupted and oppressed people and did not allow people to live into their full humanity. Now we fast forward. I'm trying to make this as concise as possible. We fast forward now to the place where we are. 2022 America. We're after the in many ways, what some might refer to as the golden age of Christianity in America, where the vast majority of people have attended church and attend church on a regular basis. Those days are behind us. They may be coming again, but right now they're behind us. But we do have a national religion. Well, Pastor, wait a second. We have separation of church and state, and we have laws that say there's there should be no establishment of a national religion. Yes, and there's no formal state religion here in America, but there's something else. There's a term, and I don't know if you're familiar with it. There's a term called civil or civic religion. And this term was first kind of established in the 1700s in a document called the Social Contract where they talk about the importance or the role that the civil religion plays in a society. Now, according to Burkhanita, I'm sorry, my, my words are not coming out perfectly, Civil religion is defined as this, a public profession of faith that aims to inoculate political values and that prescribes dogma, rites, and rituals for citizens of a particular country. Now, in in the 1960s, there was a socialist that first proposed that civil religion exists here in the United States. And he points out to things of various rituals, things like saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and symbols, the American flag, 
that that have drawn a specific meaning and that are drawn from specific religions but these symbols these rituals operate independent of the specific origins does that make sense so what he's saying is there's rituals and symbols that you can find in very specific religions christianity that have been pulled out of christianity and have become part of our national life and operate outside of the specific religion that they were pulled from. So let's say our money, in God we trust. What God are we talking about there? So that's something that was pulled out of specific religions, but now operates independently. This sociologist also reckoned that the United States, we have our own saints and martyrs. People like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, and the list can go on, that are seen and in many ways elevated to the status of a saint or martyr in our national understanding and ideology. And then we look at the founding documents and how important things like inaugural dresses show how it operates on the idea, uh, how America operates on the idea that America is a nation chosen by God. But again, here's the question, right? What God? The Judeo-Christian God is typically what we will point to, but it's an in. It's not a, dis, a God that's described a whole lot. And what's important is that these these symbols can and often do serve as a source of unifying us as citizens, there's there's this idea that they're, they're a little bit vague, right? They're a little bit wishy-washy. They can morph. They can depend on the person that's interpret or engaging in them. So we got we got a lot going on there. So civil religion is an important concept. And again, there's a lot of people that write about this stuff that write a whole lot better about this study. Um, again, it's a, a study that sociologists will often partake in, not theologians or pastors and religious leaders we might we're aware of it we we don't talk about it too much um but think about it this makes sense right even the most 
non-Christian. I shouldn't say that. That's putting a that's painting a wide brush. But we recognize though the importance of in God we trust and singing the hymns of our nation can be is often a spiritual experience, right? When we're gathered in a place together and maybe we've gone through some really difficult times as a country and then we sing one of those great American hymns, say, the Star-Spangled Banner or the Battle Hymn of the Republic. When we sing those songs, it stirs with it. We get that sense of feeling of something greater. And we certainly see in our history as a country this idea that we are chosen by God. We're the new Israel. We're the <clears throat> we have a manifest destiny. All these ideas that created us to be the country we are now. God bless America. What God? That's part of civil religion. God bless Texas. As someone who claims Texas as home, we hear that a lot. God bless Texas. What God? That's often a sign of that civil or civic religion. Now, this is important to be aware of because it's my belief that civil religion does play a role in what we are starting to see become more and more about Christian nationalism in our country. Now, what is Christian nationalism? That's a loaded, a bit of a loaded question, to be honest with you. There's a lot of people that talk about Christian nationalism. There's books, there's articles, and there's not always a super concise definition. And I think it's because it does harken back to what is often used as our civil religious practices. Because you can be patriotic and a Christian or a person of faith without falling into the trappings of Christian nationalism. Let me say that again. You can be Christian and you can be patriotic without being a Christian nationalist. I have no problem if someone is patriotic. More power to you. I get it. We live in a great country. We have great potential as a country. But because it can be Christian nationalism pulls on some of these same ideas and legends and lore and myth and some theology, it's really hard sometimes to split the difference, to really pull out what's Christian nationalist and what's patriotic. So what is Christian nationalism? This is from Christians Against Christian Nationalism. There is a pledge where you can sign out, uh, sign the statement that you are against this. I did this when it first came out. 
But this is how it describes Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Christian nationalism demands Christianity be privileged by the state, the government, and implies that to be a good American, one must be a Christian. It often overlaps with and provides cover for white supremacy. We reject this damaging political ideology and invite our Christian brothers and sisters to join us in opposing this threat. So that's, in a nutshell, a few sentences, how I'm probably going to be largely discussing what is Christian nationalism. So let's step back and really look at that again. Christian nationalism demands Christianity to be privileged, lifted up over any and all other religions or faiths or non-faiths by the state, by the government, by the power merging Christianity with power empire and implies that to be a good American, one must be a Christian. And I would maybe personally carry it a little bit further, that Christian nationalism says that in order to be a good Christian, you must be a good American. Harkening back to the stereotypical American understandings provides cover for white supremacy and other other forms of hatred. So that's that's hard. That's in many ways what Christian nationalism is. Uh, I want to read one other document that this same organization put out. How does Christian nationalism show up in politics and policy. According to multiple academic studies using large national representative surveys, Americans who embrace Christian nationalism are more likely to. So here's a list of things that um, people that are in that more Christian nationalism realm. This is things that they're more likely to agree with. Approve of authorita authoritative tactics like demanding people show respect for national symbols and traditions. Passing laws that one must do something or saying someone should be fired if they don't do this when it comes to a national symbol or tradition. Christian nationalists are more likely to fear and distrust religious minorities. Christian nationalists are more likely to condone 
police violence towards our African-American brothers and sisters and distrust accounts of racial inequality in the criminal justice system. Christian nationalists are more likely to believe racial inequity is due to the personal shortcomings of minority groups. Christian nationalists are more likely to report being very uncomfortable with both interracial marriage and transracial adoption. Christian nationalists are more likely to hold anti-immigrant views. Christian nationalists are more likely to fear refugees. Christian nationalists are more likely to oppose scientists and science education in schools. Christian nationalists are more likely to believe that men are better suited for all leadership roles while women are better suited to care for children and the home. That's a lot, right? Christian nationalism carries with it assumptions about nativism. Those that are born here are better. White supremacy. That's self-evident, I think. Authoritative or uh, fascist. Christian nationalists are often supporters of the patriarchy. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on when we talk about Christian nationalism. Now again, some of these things are simply, sometimes, being a more conservative person. And again, that's another place where there's some gray area. or I don't want to say gray area. There's a likelihood and a chance for that person to veer over into Christian nationalism. Now, in a book that discusses Christian nationalism, the author points to believing that it's between 10 and 15% of the American population are Christian nationalists. And we're starting to see churches, right? We can think of certain pastors, I use that word loosely, that promote this type of rhetoric. You've heard of patriot churches. You've heard of, and I... I so, I so don't want to say his name, but Pastor Greg Locke would certainly fall within the realm of Christian nationalism. Marjorie Taylor Greene even had a video where she talks about, well, if it's good to be Christian and it's good to be American and be proud of our country, then being a Christian nationalist isn't so bad isn't so scary. So we have elected officials that are saying these things. We have people in the pulpits saying these things. And sadly, these people in the pulpits often are the ones that get the most media. 
even people like myself, when we speak out against those who are holding these views, in some ways we are adding to their, I don't want to say fame, but to them being known. Sorry, I need to take a drink. So, what are some ways, some times where we see Christian nationalism coming forward? What are some real-world examples? Now, if you're with me, here's another warning. I'm about to play the audio of an extremist pastor that calls from some, calls for some horrendous things. So you might want to fast forward two, three minutes. Here's your warning. I'm going to give you five seconds from now. One, two, three, four, five. What does God say is the answer, is the solution for the homosexual in 2022, here in the New Testament, here in the Book of Romans, that they are worthy of death? These people should be put to death. Every single homosexual in our country should be charged with the crime, the abomination of homosexuality that they have. They should be convicted in a lawful trial. They should be sentenced with death. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That's what God teaches. That's what the Bible says. If you don't like it, you don't like God's word. Because that is what God says. Yeah. That, my friends, is one example of Christian nationalism. That's not what the Bible says. But did you notice some of the things... And some of the ways he laid things out. A legal trial. Convicted of a legal trial. That would mean that things like being in a LGBTQIA plus relationship would need it would have to have laws passed where that becomes illegal. And then from there, there can be a trial and a legal judgment, conviction, and then the punishment for that crime would be death. Notice that there are two after he says this abhorrent thing, he sets up that if you don't like that, then you don't like the Word of God. You don't like the teachings of God. So you're not a good Christian. See, you're not a good Christian, you're not a good American. And then you heard, sadly, 
the echoes of the shouts of the people there worshiping in attendance. And we can go on. We certainly have heard, and we know of real examples, right, of hate groups using Christian words. I don't even want to say teachings. Christian words to support what they are doing. The KKK describes itself as a Christian organization. Think about it. That's Christian nationalism. That's Christian hate. There ain't no love like Christian hate, right? That's a saying. I don't know if you've heard it, but I've heard it a lot. And then we certainly get into things like opposing teaching, right? We must only teach creationism. We can't teach evolution. We can teach the theory of evolution, maybe. But we can't teach the science of evolution. Men and women, complementarianism, have specific roles and duties. A woman can't do X, Y, and Z, and a man should be the only one that takes the lead and be the head. On top of that, notice that too, right? Men and women, they are typically, and I'm willing to bet this pastor has a few choice things to say about this, non-binary is not a thing. Being a transgendered individual is not a thing. That is a corruption of God's design. You can't be a good American. If you are not following a literal or literal interpretation of the Bible, which again, they're not doing. Hey, if you didn't know this, if you're unaware of this, Jesus wasn't white. Jesus was either brown or black. Jesus, there's no white people in the Bible. That's a revelation to you. I'm sorry, but it's true. Hold anti-immigrant values. (coughs) This would fall into, and it's been making news again, the replacement theory. You've heard it. Oh, Democrats want to open up the borders so that they can replace or have more voters that aren't real Americans. That weren't born here. That's nativism. That's what that means. There's a real problem here. And again... Because some of these views do, in some ways, jump off from more conservative political views, it can be easy for them to go undetected or claim a camouflage that they shouldn't have. And I, again, 
I want to be clear here. I don't believe that all conservatives are Christian nationalists. I will say it again. I don't believe that all conservatives are Christian nationalists. I do believe that all Christian nationalists are in the far right. And maybe use the label conservative. That I do believe. But I don't believe that all conservatives are Christian nationalists. They're the extreme. But what happens with the extreme? They can be the ones that are the most loud. They can be the ones that are being catered to. We saw that. I can't believe it. We saw that in the last administration. We saw that in the rise of certain things happening in the previous administration. And sadly, they have continued. If you didn't know, there was a group that sabotaged, or at least attempted to sabotage, a pride event just this past week. And I'm willing to bet, I have not read a ton of articles about it because it sickens me, it turns my stomach, it disgusts me, but I'm willing to bet that those people arrested for trying to undermine and cause harm at a pride event would describe themselves as good Christians. Again, Christian nationalism. Distorting both what it means to be a good Christian and what it means to be a good American. And it's scary. And it's not okay. And it is a sin. And it is an extreme that needs to be dealt with and pulled out and said, this is not okay. This must go away. Now, I will be honest. I'm a little bit nervous about this podcast. I'm a little bit nervous about putting this out there. I'm going to. I need to. I feel called and convicted to. But these Christian nationalists can be a bit extreme. No, not a bit. Can go to extremes. And I have a little bit of anxiety to begin with. So talking about this topic is scary. But then I look at my friends. My friends that are in the LGBTQIA plus community. My friends that are BIPOC individuals. My friends that are not Christians. And I have to speak out. I have to say Christian nationalism is not okay. It is not biblical. It is not in lines with the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's not. If you claim to be a Christian nationalist and claim to be a follower of Jesus, those two things cannot go together. Maybe maybe you've been deceived. You've been laid astray. I don't talk a lot about the devil, but I do believe that things like Christian nationalism that have its roots in white supremacy and racism and hate are evil 
and are of whatever force of evil you want to say, be it the devil, be it the negative energy in the universe, it's not of God. Why am I speaking out? Yes, it's my friends, my family, those that I care about. And I said this on TikTok. I am tired of voices of Christian nationalism being the voice of Christianity, being the voice that is so often picked up. You see a whole lot more of Greg Locke than affirming, positive, Christ-leading, Christ-following pastors. And please, if you don't know who Greg Locke is, don't look him up. It would just hurt your heart even more. Christian nationalism is not good. And we must take a stand against Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism cannot be allowed to thrive. Because if Christian nationalism thrives, America as we know it will be gone. Even the America that they think once existed will be gone. No, my friends, I believe if Christian nationalism is allowed to thrive, we will be looking a whole lot more like living underneath a Christian Taliban. I said it. Then we are at living in a Christian country. They're extremists. They're homegrown extremists. And we can't stand for it. But it's hard work. Because of Christian nationalism's ability to weave its fingers into various issues, into various organizations, into various agencies, into even the halls of power that rule this country. Christian nationalism is there. And Christian nationalism on his face may look like, hey, I'm just patriotic. But then it becomes something more. It comes dressed up, waving the flag, chanting USA, USA. But once we get past that, we see that Christian nationalism is something entirely different than being patriotic. It's calling for something that was never intended to be. And we see it in all the times where Christian beliefs have been partnered with empire. It doesn't work out because the two were never meant to go hand in hand. Christian, Christianity is anti-empire. Not pro-empire. 
This is almost double the length of my usual podcast, and it's been hard. <laughs> and if you made it this far, good for you. Again, if you need to reach out, reach out. I do believe we can overcome this. I do believe that Christian nationalism can go back out of our national focus and can be dealt with and gotten rid of. But we must be willing to. That's somewhat what inspired last week's episode. But my friends, know that you you matter. You can and you do make this world a better place by being who you are. You are loved. You are appreciated. We have work to do. I'll talk to you next week.